Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 167 of the Speaking Club podcast. One of the biggest lessons I've learned on my business journey so far is that the road to success seems to be more about small tweaks than big moves. And I saw this quote from Winston Churchill, which I think sums up the attitude you need to develop to be resilient and stay the course. Success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. I started this podcast for two reasons, because I want to help people recognize the power of stories and humor in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organizations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Well, hello. Thanks for joining me again. And I hope you're having a great week and you and your family as ever are safe and well. I had my first jab at the end of last week. I had the uh, AstraZeneca one. And so far, touch wood, The only side effect that I've noticed is that my upper left arm, where the needle went in, has turned into a magnet for slapping, grabbing and punching. And boy, does it hurt. But enough of that. I'm very lucky to have had it. Right, let's crack on then. (laughs) I'm so excited about this episode because today I'm doing something I haven't done before. And that's to spotlight what I consider to be a best of show, a best of the speaking club show. This episode was originally released in early 2018 and it has so much gold in it for making your stories more powerful and growing your audience and business that I wanted to bring it to the top of the pile. It's like you're attending a mini masterclass from a Hollywood expert because Michael Haig, who is my interview guest, has been involved in creating compelling stories for years. Mention Michael's name at any exclusive Hollywood party and everyone knows who he is and how he supercharges the power of story in their scripts. He's written best-selling books on screenwriting, on how to pitch your story in Hollywood, and one on how you can share your story so that you build an emotional connection with your audience and win more business. And Michael began working with entrepreneurs like Andre Chaperon and Russell Brunson to take their stories deeper and help their massive and help their messages create amazing results. And in this show, he is sharing the same lessons and value, and I hope they help you to have as much success with stories in your business. Right, without further ado, let's switch over to my interview with Michael Haig. Welcome to the show, Michael Haig. Thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. So, so I can't wait to get into stories with you because you're a bit of a hero of mine. But I'm, I'm also interested in your backstory. And I wondered if you could open up by sharing how you got into this work. Uh, well, it depends how far back you want me to go, really. I, I could say the story starts when I was about probably three or four. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I saw my first movie. Actually, my parents used to take me to or used to go to drive-ins when I was a baby, but I don't think that registered. <laughs> but uh, when I was very little uh, and growing up, my father owned a candy store 
they made popcorn there and they took the popcorn down to the movie theater three doors down and the movie theater sold it because they didn't have poppers of their own. So as long as I was carrying a bag of popcorn for the theater, I got to see the movie for free. And immediately, I guess I was just hooked. I mean, always going to movies has been something uh, wonderful to me. And deep down, somehow the idea got planted. I would love someday to work in the movies. I had no idea how or why or how I'd get there. But the thing was, that just seemed like a silly thing to dream. And I never told anybody that. And it just sort of got delayed and delayed. And I went to college and I taught school for a few years. And uh, finally, it reached a point where I decided if I'm ever going to do this, I ought to do it. So I finally you know, got on the turnip truck and drove to, to Los Angeles, knowing no one, knowing nothing about what I wanted, just thinking I want to be in the movies. I knew I didn't want to act. I knew that wouldn't be any good. I'd be terrible and <laughs> self-conscious. So fortunately, on the very first Sunday after I moved to L.A., there was an ad in the paper for a film school. And it was a school called Sherwood Oaks Experimental College. They were offering classes in a variety of subjects. But the thing I loved about it, it was no degrees, <laughs> no grades. You just paid for the classes you wanted to learn about, and that was it. So I started signing up for classes. And one of the classes I took was in story analysis, which is the sort of formal term for being a reader. And it was taught by one of the top readers at 20th Century Fox. And it was then that she taught us how to synopsize scripts. So she'd get scripts from the studio, we'd read them, and then we'd write a one-page synopsis. And I got better and better at that, but I loved doing it. So then I thought, well, I could do this. And so I made about 100 phone calls to see if I could get a job. And one agent said, I don't care what your education is. I'm going to give you a script, and if I like your coverage, that's the term for doing a synopsis and recommendations, then you're hired. So he did, and I was, and he paid $10 a script, which it took me about a day to do. So I was pulling down $10 a day. Wow. And, and even way back then, that didn't pay for an awful lot, but it, was an, it got me going. And then out of that, uh, a producer started reading some of my work and he made me his development executive. And then I moved to other production companies. And pretty soon I was on a track of working with writers, finding material for producers to produce, to get on TV or features. And uh, that was kind of the niche I found. And I always loved story. I loved working with writers. I never had any deep desire to be a screenwriter. I much preferred uh, guiding others or getting to work with a lot of stories at different times. And so that became my initial career in Hollywood. It was out of that that I started teaching. I'd always wanted to teach grown-ups, So I started teaching classes in screenwriting from the point of view of being on the receiving end of scripts. Wow. And that led to a two-day weekend seminar that I took all over the country and to London and to other parts of Europe and eventually to Australia and New Zealand. And as I was doing that, people would say, well, you should do a book about this. So I wrote a book called Writing Screenplays That Sell. And then uh, people would come up and say, well, could I pay you to read my script? 
And finally, I, I'm kind of thick-headed, so I never thought of this myself, but finally <laughs> I realized, yeah, that sounds good. Maybe there's something to be said for that. And so pretty soon I was lecturing and uh, doing critiques and coaching people on their scripts enough that I stopped working for producers, and that became my career. And really, it's continued. My career is really the same now, and that is I, I speak or I lecture about story and screenwriting, and I coach people on stories or scripts, uh, and I write about it. The one thing that's happened more recently is when I started realizing that the principles of story are the principles of story, I started working with novelists, and then I started working with business people, yeah. public speakers and marketers and so on, helping them tell better stories using the principles that I developed and learned by working in Hollywood. So now I'm coaching a wider variety of people, but it's still the same. It's still coaching, teaching, writing. And can you spot a winner uh, out of, you know, have you, is, is there, have you had um, any misses that you, you kind of sort of got it wrong or have you, have you just got that eye where you know what's going what's gonna to sell, what's going to be a hit? Well, let's see. Uh, I guess first, the first answer would have to be no. No one can know for sure if something's going to be a hit. Uh-huh. But what you, what's a lot easier to spot is what you know isn't. <laughs> and, and so a lot of the process of being in development, which is sort of the generic term for everything I did and what other people do to find material, it's sifting through an immense number of horrible scripts uh, to find the one that might have potential. Right. Uh, I have never, I've never had a, a, a script cross my desk that I c- didn't think could be made better. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's sort of my job is to help the writer or the filmmakers make it better. Uh, it also, sometimes there are movies that are in production that they are struggling or they ask me to come in and read the script and uh, give some opinions on issues they're having or scenes that are coming up and things like that. Well, that's really not about deciding whether it's going to be a hit or not. It's just helping the filmmakers make it as good as you can. But uh, it, it, it doesn't... To, to be honest, it's not really a yes or no kind of activity. Uh, I, I usually just say to writers or anyone in any arena that comes to me, look, your story's not so bad, it can't be, be made good, and it's not so great that there's no work is needed, so you're somewhere in between, so yeah. let's get to work. And it's always, to me, about making the script better, making the story better if it's a speaker or a marketer, or making the novel better and so on. And that's really my job, is to take, it as, take the writer as far as I can in the time we have to get it as good as it can be. It's up to the writer then to take it out in the marketplace and actually get a deal. You've worked with some big Hollywood names, and I know that Will Smith is a fan of yours. And uh, on your website, there's a video of you and him, which, and I'll link to that in the show notes so people can check that one out. So when you consult with the, the Hollywood, that's what you're doing. You're looking at weaknesses in their script and story and making it better so that it, it's more chance of being a box office success. Is that right? Sometimes, uh, like with Will, for example, uh, he was actually first contacted me when he was working on I Am Legend. 
and they were already in production, but they had they were mainly wondering about the ending. So he asked me to read the script and then talk to him about how I thought the ending worked and so on. Then, but there were other times when I would get the script from him before they went into production. Sometimes what he wanted was suggestions about everything I could think of to help make the script better or to work with him and the writer on making the script better. Sometimes it was taking a script that he was going to star in, uh, most recently Bright was an example of that. And what his main interest there was to figure out as much as possible and go as deeply as possible into the character he played so that he would be taking in a really clear three-dimensional idea of who this was and how he was going to play that character. And then at a certain point in our relationship, I was put on retainer by his company, and there I was doing a lot of work uh, developing scripts uh, or, or consulting on scripts they were developing for the company to produce, but not for Will to be in. So even with that relationship, there were a variety of reasons he might want to bring me in, <clears throat> sometimes for a single meeting, sometimes for an extended period where the script is being developed over time. Like Karate Kid, I was fairly heavily involved in the development of that screenplay before they went into production. Wow. Well, that's really cool. So looking at things from lots of different angles, I didn't know that you'd worked with him on character development. That's, that's very interesting. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's all well. That's always going to be part of it. The thing about Will is, uh, he has a brilliant mind for story. Uh, I mean, I just love working with him because not only is he a great guy and gracious and and just wonderful to work with, but he's just whip smart and he already knows a lot about story and has great ideas about it. So it's just so much fun to bounce ideas around about the story or the script. But I think one of the things he knows and, and feels is my strength is being able to talk about the inner life of the character, the character arc, or the theme of the story, and uh, what, what, is, what is the story actually saying? How does this character relate to everybody in their own lives, or how we should live better lives? So... I, I always say when I work with Will, I've really got to bring my A game because he's, he's at that level, but that's what makes it fun and exciting. So character is always something I think anyone who brings me in or hires me as a coach or a consultant to do is what they're looking for because that's just when I speak, it's oftentimes about the psychology or the inner journey of the character and so on. Yeah, absolutely. Because that, you know, that's. I think without that sort of transformation, it's kind of hollow, isn't it? It doesn't work. So that's that's really important. But let enough about enough about Will, because you're the star of this show, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I am as long as you don't. He doesn't join us as another guest, and then I guarantee <laughs> I won't be the star of this show anymore. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we, you mentioned about all the different mediums that you work with people in, whether it's a novel, whether it's in business, and 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 the storytelling really does translate. Now, I, I'm a big fan of using storytelling in business and speaking, and I've talked about it on this show before and, and sort of talked about you before on this show, but I wondered if you could give an overview of your model and tell us why it's so powerful. 
So what that that actually grew out of my work in Hollywood. Actually, everything sort of grows out of my work in Hollywood, and all of that grows out of all those movies I've been seeing since I was three or four years old. But um, what I did was I took an approach I had developed to structure and character for working with screenwriters and novelists, and I kind of streamlined it down to its essential beats for people who are using story in business. Because the biggest distinction between movie writers, let's say, and uh, uh, public speakers who are creating a speech that they want to incorporate a story, or um, marketers or business people who have to give a presentation or do an email campaign or whatever, the biggest distinction is movies the story has to in and of itself be emotional enough to get people to come to the theater and recommend it because that's how they make the money in Hollywood. Yeah. In the business world, which is what I sort of call the umbrella of all those categories, in the business world, the story itself isn't going to make any money. The story needs to be emotional enough to pull the audience's or the reader's attention and to create a connection with the character in that story so that they will replicate the action the character in the story takes and achieve some kind of success by doing that. So let's say, let's say you're marketing something. If you have a story about someone who used the product you're selling, or if you're a consultant and you have a story about someone who worked with you and succeeded by doing that, that story is valuable because you're trying to persuade your audience to also hire you. But if you just say, well, I've been a consultant for this many years and, and I've done this and I've done that and my principles are this, that, that can help, but nothing is as powerful as the emotional connection created when you're telling a story because then the audience is actually going to connect with the hero of that story and it gives them the emotional experience of actually working with you. Or if you're trying to uh, incite somebody to take some action, political action, or if you're trying to pers uh, uh, to inspire them from the stage, still you give them the experience of doing whatever that hero did that you're now urging them to go out into the real world and do. And that's, that's how it's different. It's a tool towards persuasion for business people. It's a tool just for entertainment and emotion in Hollywood or in books. It can also serve the purpose in a book or a movie of inspiring people to take action if that's the goal of the movie. But primarily the people who pay for movies, who make the movies, want to sell tickets. The people who use stories in business want to sell something else and use the story to help them do that. It, that's great. Thank you. So it's it's in business or in speaking or in that sort of umbrella, it's a catalyst for action and, and 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 building an emotional connection between that person and the and the audience, basically, and what yeah. they're offering. Yeah, both. The, if it's a speaker, it helps with the connection between the speaker and the audience, but they also really want to create a psychological, subconscious connection or identification between the audience and the hero of the story. Now, once you understand that distinction, the actual principles of the story involved are no different. 
the, hero, the, the journey the hero goes on is still going to go through a series of predictable stages. Mm -hmm. And you need to include all those stages to maximize the emotional experience for the potential buyer, for the reader, for the audience, uh, for the, 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 the receiver of the sales pitch, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So at a certain level, story is story is story. And it doesn't matter if it's a movie story or a story for inspiration or sales or persuasion. It'll matter particularly because there are parameters of both. But the basic principles of how you create emotion with a story are the same regardless of the medium. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's something, I mean, I guess stories, I mean, I always say this, we've been, you know, sort of conditioned to want stories ever since cave days so it's 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 almost built into us to to sort of you know this sort of buy into this character's journey it's been around for so long um so you you come from the angle that so in business uh, everyone's a problem solver um whether you're a business or a speaker and if we assume that that is true how does storytelling and, and your model help with that? Uh, when I say everyone's a problem solver, what I actually mean is that, well, one way to look at it is whenever we spend our money, we are almost without exception spending that money to solve a problem. Uh, the most direct way of saying it is uh, my leaves, I need to get the leaves off of my lawn so I'm going to buy a rake. Okay, yeah. that's kind of rudimentary. Yeah. But why do you go to a doctor? Because you have a health problem. Why do, you, why do you go to an investment broker? Because you have a problem with your, um, your money. Or the problem may be, I don't have enough, or I need even more. Or the problem might be, I'm just bored, and that problem is solved by a movie or a TV show or a dance uh, uh, or something on the stage or a dance club or bowling alley or whatever it might be. So it's, it's always about something someone wants. But if you look at it in that way, they always have something missing, something needed, something, <clears throat> some problem that needs to be fulfilled for them to feel satisfied. And that's what you're offering. So in the business arena, what story can do is help persuade someone that the solution to their problem is what you're offering them. And if it's a competitive thing, if you look at TV, how many different automobile bills are advertised on TV? So the idea of stories in that context, if the ads are telling stories, is can my story convince you that my model of car is better than the one you saw in the previous commercial or does mine look better on the shelf or in the newspaper ad or whatever it might be so it's it goes back to the idea of creating emotional connection with the person who is using or experiencing whatever it is you're selling and giving that audience member that reader the emotional experience of success that you're claiming will result from them buying your product or hiring you to provide your service or whatever. Did that answer your question or did I just go off on a tear? No, no, it did. I think I, oh, I'm going to delve a little bit deeper. So let's take the example of the guy or the woman that's got the, the, that has leaves on their garden and the garden rake. 
So, so they have that, that problem of needing to clear the leaves. But I think what your model also does is talk to the, you know, the, in terms of the character, the emotional thing, which could be that they, they want their garden to look beautiful because they want it to be the best in the neighborhood i'm just thinking about the examples you used in terms of the cars as well the the car adverts don't often talk about the sort of the how of the car they're often selling being a, a man surrounded by women or but, do you know what i mean it's it, they're selling the, the 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 sort of emotional stuff rather than the the features of the car is that's what your your model does i think is that is that fair yeah, that's more than fair. That's exactly the objective. Yeah. The key that the story that the storytelling principles won't tell you is what is the problem they want solved, because you know they could look. They may even say, "Okay, I I need a new car, and I oh I needed to get from point A to point B. My my problem is I have to find a way to do that." But deep down, what they want even more than that is they want to be successful. They want yeah. to be sexy. They want to be popular. They yeah. want to be a real man or a beautiful woman or whatever you're peddling. And yeah. so what, what lots of people, I assume, get paid lots of money to figure out is what is it or how many different problems and needs can we answer in the way we present this, this product? And you'll see that in advertising or in anything. I mean, uh, even with the clients I work with, uh, I'm working right now with someone who has a big speech coming up in a couple of days, and we're crafting the speech. And he, he, you know, he's he's wanting to solve several problems or meet several needs of his audience. Now, in this case, he's not trying to make money. He's not giving a speech to convince the people in the audience they should hire him to give them real estate advice or whatever it might be. But what he does want to do is give a speech that will, number one, entertain them. So they're not bored to tears or walking out the door. Another thing he wants to do is inform them, try and present his theory about how some particular element of life works or what it means. Another thing he wants to do is inspire them to take action he wants to inspire them to take the principles that he's delivering through the stories he's telling, and when they leave the the conference the uh, the, the uh, conference room that where he's going to be giving this, they're going to go out and they're going to change their own behavior in some way because that will help them do more good in the world or be more successful or whatever it might be. So it, we're not just talking about the advertising world here, we're talking about anyone using story is trying to solve most of the time a number of problems for the audience yeah. because as they do that, that's going to be more likely to get the audience to take the action that the speaker, the, the advertiser, the, the marketer wants them to take. So you kind of got to think, you need to think about those things. You don't really need to think about that so much when you're writing a movie. You're not thinking in terms of, well, how many different problems can I solve? There's really one big problem, and that is, how, well, two. How do I get butts in seats, and how do I keep them there? Yeah. And everything else is secondary. Everything else is about making them laugh or, or making them cry or you know, moving them to action or whatever. 
Cool. And and I think one of the things I, I don't know, hopefully you'd agree with this, but I'll double check with you, just make sure. But one of the mistakes I think people make in speaking in store and business sometimes is making themselves the hero of the story rather than their audience. Is that also fair? <clears throat> the problem is not so much the mistake is not that they make themselves the hero. The mistake is they don't do it right. <laughs> they, don't, <laughs> they don't do it correctly. And here's, here, I, I'll, I'll, I'll share my idea about how you do it correctly. Cool. The problem when you tell a story like, okay, so let's think of a, well, uh, give me a hypothetical example. It, how, how might you be using a story or what it would, might you as a storyteller in business might be wanting to accomplish? Well, let's 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 take an example of it. Let's imagine it's a I don't know um, a personal trainer, so fitness trainer. Um, let's okay. say they want to get people okay. to hire them for you know getting them fit or losing weight or whatever. Okay, good. So here's a fitness trainer, and we can let's just assume that that one of their um, one of their selling points is that they were. Um, uh, a star athlete okay mm -hmm. so let's say this was a this was a high level football player who's now opening a, a, a number of gyms with their name on it and now they're going to be a personal trainer it doesn't have to be that big but we'll just use that for an example okay here's the distinction if they get up and say something like I was, well, I, it depends if you're talking about English or American football, but we'll take American, you know, if I was, I was, I was the uh, Super Bowl winning quarterback for this team. And as such, I may, I, I set this record and I made this much money and I did all that. And if you join my gym, you can then get up to the level I've achieved. Well, first of all, that's a false promise, but let's even say that the promise is correct. The problem with making yourself the hero in that way and, and laying out all your accomplishments is it's self-aggrandizing and it doesn't create the kind of emotional connection you want with your audience, with your potential gym member that you want them to join your gym or you want them to hire you as a fitness trainer. Mm -hmm. So the way to tell the story with you as the hero is... Start the story when you are an everyday person, just like anybody else, just like the rest of us, and create empathy with you as that hero. Meaning, tell us about how you were bullied as a kid, if you want to start there. Tell us about how you were cut from the team in high school because they said you were too skinny or they said you weren't in shape, or you were too fat, or tell us about how you struggled in school because you loved sports, but you weren't any good at whatever, mm -hmm. or tell us how you didn't have time for sports because you had to bring home money to help your single parent mom with you and the other four kids in your family. If you may have noticed there, I'm looking for examples of things where we'll either feel sorry for you or feel like you you were, uh, I, all these were childhood reflections, but you were in jeopardy, like from the bully, or you were a good person. You were making money to help your mother. Yeah. Then tell about the journey that took you from there to being this Super Bowl winning football player. 
And then you can say, and now I want to help you along the same kind of journey by working with you at my club or by being your trainer or whatever it might be. Now, you don't have to be Super Bowl winning, Super Bowl winning football. In fact, I kind of regret making that a big person. <laughs> Even if you're that high a level, I mean, you said just a personal trainer. But as a personal trainer, if you tell us how you went from sickly or skinny or fat or not strong or how wherever you were before you started the journey and it creates that emotional connection because we empathize with you and you feel like one of us then we'll get on board for this journey with you because now because we identify with you as the hero you are actually letting us make the journey because psychologically we become the character you've created just like we would in a fictional story so, so if you do that, then when you brag, if you want to call it that, about all your achievements, it doesn't seem like bragging to us in the audience because we're the ones who did all that because we've become you psychologically as we hear the story. And now we're not going to think to ourselves, well, isn't she full of herself because, because, because she's such a hotshot trainer. So the, that's the issue is, are you doing enough to create empathy and get your audience or your potential member or buyer to feel like you are, you are like them before you start getting to all the success you've had? And, then, and then you can tell stories about yourself as much as you want. Brilliant. And it, it kind of has that underdog feel about, it. I mean, it obviously makes them more relatable, but you want them to win. You want them to overcome the adversity and yeah. as well. So you end up rooting for the, the person rather than just feeling like they're miles away from you. It's something you'll never achieve. And there's one other thing that that accomplishes too, because whatever kind of story you're telling and whatever the venue you're using to tell it, whether it's a movie or an opera or a novel or, or a, uh, 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 a YouTube video or whatever it might be, uh, whatever story you're telling, your number one objective must be more than any other to create emotion. Yeah. Because without the emotion, nothing else is going to happen. You're going to lose your audience or even if they stick it out, if they're bored or distracted or just getting facts and information rather than feeling anything, you're not going to accomplish any other goals with it. So regardless of the venue, your job is to elicit emotion. Yeah. And what you need to understand then is emotion grows out of conflict. Yeah. Not desire. Wanting to be a star athlete, if that was the story that the, uh, that the personal trainer was telling, the desire to be a star athlete, if you think about it, is just kind of, okay, so that's good, good. You want to be an athlete, and I want to be, a, I want to be an accountant, and I want to go watch TV or whatever. The, yeah. the desire, even if it sounds like, hey, I want to be an astronaut, okay, that's fine. It's a little unique, so that might be a little more interesting. But what makes it emotional is when you start revealing all the obstacles that stand between your hero and that goal. It's those moments of conflict or the, it's the obstacles that we anticipate as we hear the story that are going to get us more and more emotionally involved. Uh, an example I love to use is the movie The King's Speech because if you really think about it, that movie was a story about a man who wanted to give a speech. Yeah. That was the goal. 
And if you just said to somebody, well, you want to go see if this, if it was whatever it was, eight years ago or something, and you hadn't, the movie wasn't popular, hadn't won an Oscar yet, and you said, you want to go see a movie? And your friend says to you, well, what's it about? And you said, it's about a guy who wants to give a speech. Your friend <laughs> is probably going to say, well, what else is playing? Yeah. Um, but if, but when you say, well, it's actually about a prince of England who was abused as a child and as a result has a horrible stutter and is desperate to give a speech without stuttering and then discovers that he's been handed the throne when his brother abdicates and now the speech he has to give is going to lead his country into World War II. Everything I just said was an obstacle for Bertie in that movie. That's what makes it a Best Picture winner. That's why it was so successful artistically and commercially, because the obstacles were so great and because we empathize so deeply with this character, who even though he's a prince, was presented as an everyday person. So when you tell your story beginning with those uh, elements that create empathy, they're all built on conflict. In other words, I said, get, get us to feel sorry for your hero, or you in the story, if you're being the hero of your own story, get us to feel sorry for you. That's about conflict you've either suffered in the past or you're facing right now. Or put the character in jeopardy. That's about conflict you're facing in the future. You're about to lose your job. You're about to lose your mortgage. You're about to lose custody of a child. You're, a, you're about to succumb from disease or whatever it might be. And the third one is be a good-hearted person. Like I said, with the trainer, I said, is bringing home money to help his single-parent mom with the kids. Okay, that's how well does the person help other people with their conflicts. All of those conflicts raise the level of emotion, and when you've got that, then as you take them on their journey, you've got an audience that's already deeply emotionally involved. So it's kind of a multiple-benefit yeah. uh, way of approaching stories at all or stories about yourself it makes it so much more compelling when the stakes are uh, uh, there's conflict and the stakes are high absolutely brilliant thank you michael and what what sort of results have you seen people in the business and speaking world get when you've worked with them and they've got this story structured in the right way well i'm glad you asked that actually i just i just got an email uh late last week um uh, a client, a man who's been a client of mine off and on for a long time named Matt Basak. Some of your listeners may know him because he's he's been uh, sort of one of the major leaders in internet marketing for a long time. He's been around since sort of the beginning, and he's someone that coached and trained other people who are now top-level internet marketers. Uh -huh. But I'm doing a uh, an event in Florida uh, in a couple months with uh, a, a named copywriter named Kevin Rogers. And so Kevin posted something on Facebook about the event. And so Matt Basak, who had been a client for a long time, he, he wrote a blurb and he said, thanks to a story that Michael Haig helped me mold that I've used in a number of marketing pitches and that my affiliates have used 
I figure by now the story he helped me with has generated about $100 million worth wow. of sales. And so I, I emailed him and said, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to step on it by saying this, but I want to say, well, where's I could use a piece of it. <laughs> but, but what I, I emailed him and said, I didn't know it was that much. You know, I knew you were happy with the story and so on, but, uh, but uh, I had no idea that he, he said because... He uses the story and then he creates, you know, webinars with it or, or videos with it or whatever it is that he's telling the story about himself. And then his affiliates use the same thing to get people to buy Matt's webinar and so on. So that's how it had the opportunity to earn so much money. So uh, so that was cool. That was that was a neat, uh, a neat result. And. I, I have so many more, but but I must I I go on. I I can't be, I can't make myself the the hero of this interview by bragging about myself. I'd have to go back and tell about my awful childhood in the movie theater, so you'd identify with you before I talked about that success. But yeah, that that was actually it's fun sharing that because I had no idea. Now, it, it, the the reason it made so much money was not just because of that great story. But that it did have the, it did hook people in with that. It was the story actually about how he had been a very successful businessman in the internet marketing world, had a number of employees, was making a big living, and here's a knock on the door, and it's the Internal Revenue Service saying we're investigating you for a possible tax crime but we won't tell you what we're investigating you for. And uh, we just want to let you know that we're doing that. And so he runs to his lawyer and his lawyer, his lawyer can't find out what the potential crime is. And he said he was never guilty of anything, but his lawyer said, if you want to stop this from happening, you've got to divest yourself of everything you own. In wow. other words, fire everybody, sell all your everything, Another, and because he didn't want to leave everybody, he he was you know his his uh, employees or his vendors in the lurch. He paid them all, which left him penniless. Oh. So the email was about when that happened. Now he faced the prospect of having to start over. And his lawyer said, but you can't do anything you were doing before. You can't rebuild the business. You can't you go to any of the same vendors and so on. So he had to start from scratch with a whole new approach. And then the approach he took is what people will learn how to do in the webinar he was selling. So that story, and, and I didn't tell it as well as I helped him tell it in the thing, but you yeah. can see what I was going for. We picked this moment of great crisis with a yeah. lot of conflict and a lot of pain and got people hooked into that. And then they're thinking, well, if he was able to do this from scratch, maybe I can do it. And that made them interested in looking further at the webinar or at the product he was selling and eventually buying it to the tune of even I guess a hundred million dollars eventually. Wow, that hundred million, that's a whole lot of social proof about your story. <laughs> it is, it is. I like it for that. It's gonna be a, a catch all example for me. But uh but you know what you had uh uh the point, what I started to say is they didn't buy it just because of the story, but the the story got them emotionally involved yeah. and gave them that brief experience of being that successful at rebuilding. And that's what led them to buy. Yeah, I think, I think you've still got to, you're absolutely right. You've still got to de deliver a quality product or service at the end of the day. But well, yeah, or, or a 
crappy one, but give, don't give them their money back when they complain. <laughs> but that's not a good way to do business. Yeah, it's no, really a means of creating connection and emotion to move people to action. Cool. Now you you're an in demand speaker yourself these days. Do do you use your own model in your talks? Oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just talk a good game. Well, of course I do. Of course I do. Here's something interesting. I don't know if I've ever confessed this on interviews, but I actually don't use storytelling much, probably not as much as I should, when I lecture about storytelling. Now, perhaps I should, but I, I take a shortcut to accomplish those goals. And that is when I talk about storytelling, what I do is I start sections of the lecture by showing movie clips. And one of the reasons that's effective, I believe is no matter how good I am up on the stage, I can never be as emotionally engrossing as a good movie or a good movie scene can be. And the movie scene is a great illustration of whatever the principles of storytelling are that I want to talk about. Now, I have started doing storytelling more with the, the audiences of business people who want to use story because they need to see illustrated how this works. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and, what I just did, actually, at your prompting, I didn't come in intending to do that, but I just told you a story about how someone I worked with made $100 million. So, well, we can test it out. Those of you who are listening to this, the idea was that when I told that story, you are, I was actually pre I was presenting Matt as the hero of the story. So I wasn't making myself the hero, but by telling his experience, working with me, it gives you an idea of some aspect of the experience you'd have working with me, gives you that emotional experience. So now you're probably, or a, 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 for a moment anyway, you're probably thinking, gosh, if he can do that, I wonder what's involved in me working with Michael Haig and so on. So I tell those stories in front of the audience so they can see illustrated yeah. the principles I'm talking about. Uh, it, with screenwriters and novelists, I can. It's they'd rather see movie clips than my <laughs> stories about how I've helped other clients, uh, and or or I'd rather show them. And then I just sort of ride in on the energy that's already created, the emotion that's been created by the movie. Plus, I love looking at movie scenes. So it's yeah, well, they are brilliant at, at illustrating it, it exactly right. And what what's your kind of split of time these days between working in people with business or versus sort of script writers and film? Is it is it is it changed because I think stories are are much more it, people realizing the impact and importance of stories. Has it has that dynamic changed? Yeah, absolutely. But it's changed partly because I've really been focusing a lot lately on the arenas of in particular uh, public speakers, entrepreneurs, and internet marketers. And so because I'm doing podcasts, because of my most recent book, Storytelling Made Easy, is actually targeting or designed for people who want to use storytelling in business, I've just been focusing my energies that way. Mm. And because in those arenas, people are getting more acquainted with me, I'm, I'm drawing more clients from that arena. 
Uh, it's still, but I, I always will continue to work in Hollywood, coach screenwriters, and I work a lot with novels, in particular with romance writers, because I speak a lot to romance writers organizations around the world. And so I suppose maybe right now it's about a third, a third, a third cool. novels, screenwriters, and business leaders. Uh, but because I'm my energy, because I, I'm, I'm honestly having an immense amount of fun coaching people in the business arena because it's newer for me and it it it's you know it takes a different set of muscles in a certain way where I, I'm looking at stories more differently and the desires those clients come in with and the issues they have with storytelling are somewhat different uh, I think that if I'm coaching a screenwriter a novelist I don't need to convince them of the importance of storytelling because they've chosen to be a storyteller, even yeah. if it's a movie director or a studio executive. They're in the storytelling business. Yeah. But someone in business, they don't want to be a professional storyteller. They want to make money off of or, or provide services to people in other areas besides storytelling. So one is one issue is convincing them of the need for it. Or, or the value of it. But another issue is, I think, because storytelling is not kind of where they live, so to speak, it's not what their primary activity is, it's kind of scary, too. It's yeah. just the, the belief that I don't really know how to do this, I don't get it, and I don't think I can ever learn this, which is not really true, because for one thing, it's something they've been doing their whole lives. Yeah. I've never encountered anyone in my life that doesn't occasionally tell a story or say to their friends, you'll never believe what happened to me. <laughs> all, all I'm doing is helping them sort of uh, organize that story in ways that are going to maximize its impact. So that was a long answer to a quick question, but I, it, it's across the, the board. But I am, I confess, having a lot of fun in these new arenas and uh, and uh, seeing how they do. And there's, there's, to be honest, one other big advantage of that, and that is uh, seeing the, the payoff for the time spent is a lot faster than it is in Hollywood. I was going to say... A script and that script might, if it does ever get to the big screen, it could be years later, and I'll barely remember, remember my part in it. And uh, even when it's something that I knew was going into project, like some of the ones with Will, my, my involvement is almost always at least a year and a half before it ever makes the big screen because they haven't shot the movie yet and they haven't, you know, edited and distributed and so on and so on. So, but with, uh, but, but for instance, the client I mentioned earlier in this conversation, he, he came to me last week, we started working Saturday and he's got to give this, this speech in two days. Um. Okay. So win or lose or whatever it is, it's going to all be resolved for him. And, and the, and the effectiveness of what I gave him is going to be resolved by Friday. And that's sort of fun. It's sort of different to have that immediate kind of gratification. Yes. Yeah, so you can see, you can see that the sort of, you get the reward of your efforts it is through the, through them much more quickly. I can see that now. Yeah. Brilliant. Now I know you've got a freebie to give away to people. Um, could you just give me? I've got a couple of standard questions to ask you, but if you, uh, it'd be brilliant if you could just tell people what that freebie is, and I'll put a link in the show notes to how they can get it. But um, could you tell people about that? Yeah. 
in order to get a better idea of my approach to how stories work for business, um, what I term it is the six-step success story approach. I talked about telling stories about how you or someone you've worked with has achieved success either using a product you sell, a service you offer, uh, principles or methods that you're espousing in your blog or in your stage, speech from the stage or so on. So I talk about the six steps the hero has to go through. You set up the character, they face a crisis, they form a goal, they have to take some steps to achieve it and face some obstacles, and then you give the outcome of that journey. So those six steps are ones that you always want to make sure in every story. Um, so I created an ebook. It's called uh, Six Step Success. Uh, let's see, Six Step Success Stories. I think is the name of the ebook, right? Yeah. Uh, you just announced it. And so what the ebook does is it first of all explains and identifies those six steps, and it has a chart of them. But then what I did is I did an interview with a top real estate ex executive in America and ask him to tell me a story about some significant event in his life, that, and he was looking to uh, have a good signature story from the stage. So he told a story about how he ran um, uh, the uh, Marine Corps Marathon in Washington, D.C. one year. So he told me the story, I transcribed it, I turned it into a story that uses all six steps, so it illustrates all the principles, and then I explain how that works. So all of that is free. Uh, the link you said you're going to post, I think it's storymastery.com. That's my uh, website slash numeral six S S or six S S S. So you can get that, um, that ebook. And that will give you a great introduction to that process. And then of course I have that book I mentioned that goes in, into more uh, into it more even deeply, but this will be, this would be a good starting point. Well, I'll also put a link to your book in the show notes as well, Michael, so that they can pick that up uh, as well. Well, that's brilliant. I, I'm so chuffed with everything that you've shared. It's been, it's been brilliant. Now, I've got some standard questions before I let you go that I ask all my guests. Um, okay. So the, the, it's kind of, because this is the speaking club, they're kind of related to speaking, the first two. So the, what's the best thing that speaking has done for you? Wow. I, I don't think I don't think you sent me this question in advance, so I've got to give it a moment's thought. What's the best thing? You mean giving lectures and speeches and so yeah. on? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, it, I, I can't. The best thing you're asking for one answer. I, I can't narrow it down that much because it's done two different but really critical things. One. The, the simple one is I made a lot of money lecturing about <laughs> screenplays around the world. And you can even add it's gotten, it's given me the opportunity to go to England and Scotland and Spain and Australia and New Zealand and talk plus all over North America. So it's, it's on a business sense, it's been very lucrative and formed in a, it, it's formed one of the cornerstones of my career, but on a more emotional level or a more satisfying, fulfilling level, it gives me the opportunity to turn people on about storytelling and about movies. And I love that. I love it when people at the end of one of my presentations comes up and says, I'm never going to look at a movie in the same way again. 
or they feel like it's been life-changing because talking about story has gotten them to a point where they're looking inside themselves at their own arc, at their own inner journeys, and it's really made a difference to their lives. So I can't equivocate between those two. I like the money and the travel, but I love inspiring people and turning them on about story. So that's the best I can do with that one. That's a brilliant answer. And and have you got a, a worst gig, a, something that's like sort of that you're like, oh no, that something bad that happened when you were speaking that you, you know, you, sort of sticks in your mind? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hate to say it, but I actually have two. So you let it go the first time I might say once. The, the first one is I went to, uh, this was a school in Las Vegas. It wasn't University of Nevada at Las Vegas. It was somewhere else. And um, uh, it was a community college that was basically closed on the weekends. And my event was Saturday and Sunday, so there was no one around. But the organizer was supposed to meet me there, and I had all these instructions about I need these, I need uh, the videos that I've got to show, and I need this kind of mic, and I need to sell my products, and we need to pass these things out. And I showed up at that class or to make that presentation, and all I saw was they, uh, a note that said, it's in this room. I went to the room. The, the furniture was all just scattered around and there was a box of supplies set out in front and nobody <laughs> came oh, and I didn't know how to do any of it. So I was sort of livid. But the biggest one actually took place close to your home and that was in Scotland. And I had been invited by someone to come over and give a lecture in London and then Scotland uh, in um Edinburgh, I think it was the, the next week, the, the following weekend. So it was fine in London, but then the person that set him up decided he didn't need to go to uh, Edinburgh to make sure it was okay. He told me everything was set up. And the venue was at one of the railroad stations in Edinburgh, and I was speaking underneath the tracks of the station. <laughs> In this place, it was probably uh, a quarter of a mile long. It was made out of brick. It had a huge high ceiling, and they had taken a set of bleachers and set it down in the middle of this long tunnel-like place, and it was just freezing cold. Oh, <laughs> and so no. in the middle of this tunnel, I, I got so cold I had to ask somebody to go back to my hotel room and get a coat. <laughs> And so for two days, we were just freezing our asses off oh, while I tried to teach them about how to be great screenwriters. <laughs> and it's no reflection on Edinburgh, wonderful city. It was the fault of the sponsor who set it up. But that was probably the worst ever. Oh, um, and so th those, are, those are my two nightmare stories. Brilliant. Well, I've got, I've got one more question for you. Um, so there's a book called Think and Grow Rich by a guy called Napoleon Hill. Yeah. And in that book, he has a fantasy mastermind group almost. And the question I'd like to finish on with all my guests is, if you could choose any three people, and they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, and this might, might apply to you particularly, um, to be your mentors, three of them, who would you choose and why? Three people to be my mentors. Okay. Um, 
I don't even know if I could think about it in terms of what could I gain because there are some people I would just like to sit down and talk to. Yeah, that's exactly right. Say, yeah. Okay. Uh, Tony Robbins would be one. I I I I love the way he inspires people, and I am just watching him the way he can work a room, so to speak. Because in a way, I do the same thing he does. I speak and I coach, except he does it at such a monumentally high level. And I just really admire and like him and have enjoyed him, but I've never met him. He would be one. Uh-huh. Okay, uh, mentor, mentor. I would pro- I don't know if he'd be a great mentor or not, but I so admire his screenwriting. I'd probably say Aaron Sorkin. Oh yeah. Um, now I've these are two living real people. I should probably dig into movies and say <laughs> who would I want to see as a mentor at one of God, a mentor. Uh because uh, my favorite characters in movies probably <laughs> Wouldn't be good. I'm, I'm thinking of people like Rick and Casablanca, but I, I don't know. He had much to teach. He's just a cool, cool guy. <laughs> well, you're um, someone you can go for a beer with. <laughs> yeah. So, what else would it be? Uh, I don't think he's. I don't know that he would necessarily be a great mentor either. But because at its core, he did something that I respond to a lot, or, or he delves into an area I like. Maybe Carl Jung. The way he thinks and the, the way Jungian psychology delves into archetypes mm-hmm. and uses fictional or for stories or fairy tales or myths as evidence of how we live our lives and so on, I, I think that's brilliant. It, I probably would be smarter on a personal level to pick Joseph Campbell than Carl Jung, but it's Jungian psychology I just responded to. I know when I listen to this... <laughs> this podcast i'm going to think what an idiot why did i not think of this person or this person or this person because i don't you know i have it's not like i'd want to sit down and talk to carl young but he seems like it would just be to be able to absorb some of the way he thinks about uh life and psychology in the world that would be pretty cool otherwise it it you know it might just be Clint Eastwood, a man with a of dollars, because I'd like to be able to kick ass like that. <laughs> so ask me tomorrow and I'll have three different answers. Michael, you've been so generous with uh, the value you've given to people who are listening to the show and to me in giving me your time. I'm so grateful. I hope everyone goes and gets your freebie and gets your book. And yes, thank you so much again for, for, for your generosity. Yeah, this has been great fun. I hope it's been helpful to all of you who are listening. I'd love to hear from you. When you go to get the freebie, be sure you look at the website. You'll probably have my website there because there's a lot of articles and free things on the website. And also it tells you how you can email me. And if you got anything valuable out of this conversation or out of it, I'd love to hear about it. But uh, I'm honored to have been invited. And thanks. This was just immense fun. Brilliant. And you're on Twitter as well, aren't you? Uh, people can check you out there. Is, have you got oh, to... yeah. Twitter and Facebook and all, all, all of your big social media things. Yeah, you can contact me through any of Brilliant. those. Things. And I'll put the links in the show notes to those as Absolutely. well. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank Thank you so much, much, Michael. You're a complete star. Thank you. Okay. You take care.
I am still loving Michael's stuff. He is such a guru around the hero's journey. And if you can include these ingredients in your stories, you'll notice how much more successful you are in creating those aha moments for your audience. It's why storytelling is at the heart of everything I do in my business and why I talk about it a lot. And I hope that hearing about stories from a different perspective from Michael has confirmed to you why they're so powerful and why you should be using them as a speaker, marketer, business leader and entrepreneur. Do go and check out his website and books, and he would love it if you went and said hi to him on social media. And before I go, I just wanted to say, if you are serious about powering up your stories and building your speaking confidence, by all means, go and get Michael's stuff. But also come and join me for the next Snackable Story Challenge, which starts very soon. You're going to get training and live coaching all directed towards you developing your own story and delivering it on video. And you can grab your space for free at saraharcher.co.uk slash challenge. That's saraharcher.co.uk slash challenge. Thanks so much for joining me. Do go and leave a rating or review over at ratethispodcast.com slash TSC. And I will be back next week. In the meantime, don't you forget to go out and grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. If you want to be more memorable and engaging when you talk, then you need to share more stories. Stories can help you better connect with your audience and their problems and get them leaning in more powerfully than anything else. And short, snackable stories are great to use in pitches, Facebook Lives, podcasts, videos, keynotes, webinars, blogs, in fact, everywhere to share your message and grow your business. The trouble is that finding your snackable stories and confidently sharing them can feel like a struggle. And that struggle can slow you down or stop you in your tracks. But that's where my free snackable story challenge comes in. Over the course of just five days, I'm going to give you resources, training and coaching to help you find your authentic personal stories to share and build your skills and confidence in sharing them. Not only that, but the challenge will guide you towards a tangible result at the end and assets for you to use going forward. The next challenge is starting soon. So to grab your space, go to saraharcher.co.uk slash challenge right now.